Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. All right, well let's turn to Psalm 127 this evening. And once you get there, uh, you'll notice that the superscript, those uh, little words, usually in italics, that we find under the chapter number and before the first verse in the psalm, they note that this is a psalm that the Holy Spirit inspired Solomon to write. Uh, I think it's in the King James Version that it says for Solomon. And, And while it's possible that David wrote it for him, most theologians agree that Solomon was a human author of this eighth Psalm of Ascent. Um, And we've titled this series Road Trip Playlist because Psalm 120 to 135, they're a collection of psalms that God's people would sing as they traveled from all over Israel up to Jerusalem, uh, especially for one of three annual worship celebrations. Uh, As far as genre goes, you know, there's different kinds of psalms. Some are lament psalms. Some are just psalms that talk about how wonderful God is, praise songs. This one is a didactic or teaching psalm, all right? It has content. It is designed for our instruction and very practical day-to-day living. Uh, And that's one of the major reasons that Solomon is thought to be its author. It's short, just five verses, and there's really just two sections. God teaches us the importance, first of all, of faith, uh, as well as the importance of family. Uh, And not just the importance of it, uh, God is giving us his view on these two subject matters. As followers of Jesus, if we are going to live in a way that glorifies God when it comes to faith and when it comes to family, we need to know Uh, and bring our lives into alignment with God's view on those two things, especially since the world we live in has very different views on them. Uh, About 300 years ago, here's a little history lesson, right? Uh, 300 years ago, there was a, a philosophical cultural movement that began in Europe. It was known as the Enlightenment uh, or the Age of Reason. And it was a time when man's ability to reason and science, uh, it took precedence over faith and religion. And there were some positive impacts um, from that time. It it, it did play a significant role in the founding of our nation and the kind of government that we have here. Um, We know that God is not anti-science, right, Jennifer? God is not anti-science. He's a creator. Um, And so he created science. But there was also some major negative impacts um, because for the first time, really, religion and faith began to be equated with uh, not much more than ignorant superstition. And one of the consequences of that way of thinking was was a humanistic, um, what we would call uh, anthropocentric, meaning man-centered. We could just shorten that and call it meocentric, where everything's about me. Um, 
and applications of that came out of it. This way of thinking and, and its effects began to creep even into the church and replace theocentric, replace God-centered ways of thinking and living. And as a result, um, trust in God, dependence on God in all areas of life, that began to weaken. And I really believe that this way of thinking, it was a seed to let, that led to the uh, destruction of the family that we are now reaping the harvest of. And so is it important to know and apply to our lives God's view on faith and family? Very much so, of course. And thanks be to God we have it here in Psalm 127. Let's read it. It says, unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. And happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would direct our minds right now to these five verses that you've given to us. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal its truth. Uh, God, we want to know your view on faith and family, and more so, we want it to become our view. And so I pray that would happen here this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at a theocentric view on faith, verses 1 and 2. The opening verse of this psalm, God has Solomon give us two object lessons here to teach us God's view on faith, uh, the kind of faith that we are to have in him. And I'm sure this is probably a familiar verse. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe somebody here has this on the walls of their home. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. So the first object lesson is something that should be familiar to most of us. Uh, We might not actually have built our own house in the funeral service for Harry, we talked about how they about, much, they about did, didn't they, Larry and Annette? Because they did so many renovations on it. Um, maybe, maybe though we just hired a contractor to do it, but I'm sure even when you do that, you have a, a lot of input. You tell them what you want. Uh, some of you did build the house you lived in or you at least worked on it. Uh, it's also possible that, that what it's talking about here in verse 1 really has nothing to do with construction, like we're thinking about uh, hammers, saws, drills, screws, things like that, uh, especially with the content of verses 4 and 5. God may be talking here about the building of a house that occurs when we have children and grandchildren and when we raise them uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as God directs Christian parents to in Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, for God's Old Testament people, for Israel, In Jewish culture, that is just as much building a house as actually getting some wood and and framing it up and things like that. But what what is the principle that's being taught here in verse 1? What is God's view on either of those or both of those applications? It's this. Unless he is the one in charge, everything that we do is pointless. (laughs) Unless he is consulted, unless he is depended on in real practical ways, unless God is involved, any and all effort that we put forth is, as it says here, it's in vain. Now, what I just described for you in those last few phrases is faith. Is God being in charge of your life in every aspect? God being consulted, you and I depending on God in real 
uh, practical ways. God being involved in every area of our lives. There's nothing that's roped off of his control. That's what biblical faith is. Um, that's faith and that's God's view on faith. Faith is not a Sunday morning thing or a Wednesday night thing. Faith is not something that the Christian is uh, supposed to do. Well, it just applies to the religious sphere of my life. We're a new creation in Christ. Our faith in him is to impact every single sphere that uh, our lives operate under. Now, a second illustration is provided as well. Verse 2 there. Uh, I'm sorry, end of verse 1. Uh, it says, unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And a principle here that's being taught is the same. It's God's view on faith. Uh, we could spend 99% of our nation's budget on defense. We could have the largest and best trained law enforcement uh, in, in all of North Carolina here in Bladen County. We could, you could at your home have the best burglar alarm. Uh, you, you could even have a presidential secret service detail. And if God is not guarding us, it would be a total waste of time. That's what this verse is saying. Total waste of our resources. Now, we need to be careful here that we do not take this verse out of context. Um, we need to be careful that we don't take this chapter out of context and make it say something that God is not saying or twist what is being taught here so that it would contradict other parts of Scripture. For instance, has God in his word, has God told us to plan and prepare in life? Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Um, has God told us to be industrious and work hard? Is that a value thing in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. Has God told us that we ought to be on guard and be vigilant against evil and defend those who, who um, are powerless? Of course. And here's just a few examples. So when it comes to um, planning, Proverbs 15, 22 says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, plans succeed. And that's just one of many verses on planning in the Bible. I chose that one because it happens to be in Proverbs. And that has the same human author as the one that's writing here in verse 1. When it comes to an ethic of hard work, Proverbs 13 forces a slacker craves and has nothing but the soul of the diligent is fully satisfied. When it comes to guarding against evil and being vigilant, being a watchman, Proverbs 18.10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. And really, there you have it. I hope you can see um, that what God's Word is teaching us is this synergistic um, type of arrangement. That's what God's Word is communicating. There is nothing wrong. There's nothing unfaithful about you and I being concerned for our safety. But uh, that has to always be in the context of our ultimate trust being in God. The name of the Lord is the strong tower that protects us better than anything that we could devise on our own or trust in on our own without God. Let me give you just one more example about this, this synergism. You and I working, but you and I trusting in God at the same time. We, we're working under the umbrella of trust in the Lord. This one's from the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, he gives this testimony, and he teaches us what God is trying to teach us about this view of faith, uh, what God wants from us. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not toward me in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So here, what does Paul attribute all of his ministry success to? Really, he's speaking about his whole life. What is Paul attributing success in his whole life to? The grace of God. That's how that verse began, and it's how it ended. It was like bookended. But right there in the middle, Paul says, I labored more abundantly than them all. 
And what's Paul referring to there? Well, all the other apostles. He's not bragging, but he's teaching us what God's teaching us here in Psalm 127.1. And what God's teaching us uh, in all those hard work ethic verses that are in the book of Proverbs. That you and I, we are to labor. We're to work hard. We're to labor abundantly. But we must also do that and never forget that our laboring is entirely pointless if God is not supplying the strength for us to labor. And uh, if we're not doing it in faith, if we're not leaning on God's strength, and we're not doing it for his will and glory. Let's get on to verse 2 now. It says, It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Amen? It's vain for you to rise up early. It's vain for you to stay up late. No amen? Y'all don't like sleep? I do. I do. Yeah. Uh, that's what God's telling us here. It, there's, there's actually a little play on words going on here, especially in the end, when he says that God gives his beloved sleep. Uh, Solomon being the author. Uh, some of y'all have names. I don't think there's too many. Roscoe. You got a nickname, Roscoe? Okay, we won't tell you. <laughs> we had a guy just over there did, right? Mr. Hooker, James. I didn't know his name was James for two years, right? And uh, Coochum, right? Uh, I knew him as Lewis before. Uh, Solomon was also called Jedediah. It means uh, beloved of the Lord. What does he say here? God gives his beloved sleep. Being a king be pretty stressful. And um, Solomon says here, it's vain for us to rise up early. It's vain for us to sit up late. I remember somebody asked me one time where they could find in the Bible, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. And as I really tried not to smile or laugh, and I had to instruct them that was Mr. Benjamin Franklin. It wasn't the Bible. But um, verse 2 here is just reinforcing the principle of verse 1. Hard work is valuable in God's perspective. He wants you to get up early and get a full day's work in. It's valuable to God, but not if it ever replaces faith. Not if you ever become dependent on that and your own willpower and not in trusting God. Uh, It shouldn't replace trust in him. shouldn't replace dependence on him. There are times when I think we are tempted to, uh, to live this way, though. I can just give you one example, and there's a billion. But here's just one example that came to my mind. Maybe there's an opportunity for some overtime at work. A time and a half, boy, that'll be coming handy, all that extra money. The only problem is that the hours available are on Sundays and you miss a couple of worship services in a row. What does God's word say is more important? Don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together. In fact, you ought to be meeting all the more as you see that day approaching in Hebrews chapter 10. So what would our choice be saying is more important? But what would we be teaching our kids or the young people of our church about what is more important? All right, so nothing wrong with hard work, as God says to, but it should never replace dependence on God. God wants us to understand his view on faith. He wants us to have a theocentric view of it, a God-centered view. Work hard, be on guard, but never let that replace, never let that diminish our trusting in the Lord. And this verse does mention sleep. It's a, you know what's so wonderful about sleep? It is a daily reminder that God has given to us that we are not in control. 
Uh, we're dependent on God. For a few hours, every night, there's absolutely nothing you can do for yourself. Even your breathing is, I don't know, Sarah, what do they call that? It's autotomic or something. It's like you don't think about it, right? You're just, you just do it. Um, sleep is a gift. It says he gives his beloved sleep. Let's look at a theocentric view on family. Verses 3 to 5, that's what they tell us about God's view on family. He says in verse 3, Behold, meaning look, pay attention. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is a reward. Now, I really doubt that there's anybody here um, who, who wouldn't have God's perspective on this. Uh, we would utter a hearty amen to what God has just said there with no issue, but we live in a world where that is not the case. Um, that's why God starts a second section with a behold. <laughs> he wants our undivided attention because the culture we live in through their media, um, their ethics on children and family, they are not seen as a heritage. Children are not seen as a reward. A family is not something that uh, is seen as rewarding. You could scroll through social media and see entire pages that are dedicated to motherhood attempting to be humorous and how the only way that that mother can make it through a day is by having a couple of drinks of wine. Isn't that sad? That is not God's view. And, and for decades now, I mean, we've seen sitcoms portray the father of the home as a complete imbecile Homer Simpson and Ray Barone and Al Bundy have replaced uh, Ward Cleaver and Lucas McCain and Ozzie Nelson. Family's not, not seen as valuable. Children not seen as a reward. God says, no, children are not a pain. Children are not an obstacle to success and to achievement in life. They are your achievement in life. That's God's view on it. Did you know that in the United States, the birth rate has dropped by 23% since 2005? Because children are not seen as a reward. They're seen as something that gets in the way. And God gives us some reasons here why we should view children as an inheritance, not an inconvenience. Uh, here's a theocentric view of family as a reward in verses 4 and 5. They're like arrows in the hand of a warrior the children of one's youth. Happy is a man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies uh, in the gate. Pastor David Guzik, he gives these ways that your children are like arrows. They, they got to be carefully shaped and formed. They, uh, they must be guided with skill and strength. If that's not done, they will not fly straight. Like an arrow, they must be aimed and given direction. An arrow does not find direction on its own. They are, in most respects, only launched once. So every day is critical. Every opportunity needs to be intentional. They're an extension of our strength and accomplishment. And finally, they have much potential for good or for evil. All of those things are pretty important. What is most interesting to me is what Solomon says here in verse 5, happy or of great benefit Blessed is the man who has his quiver full of them. And what's so interesting about that is Solomon didn't. As sad as it is, though he had 700 wives and 300 concubines, according to 1 Kings 11.3, we only know of one of his sons, Rehoboam. 
So it's likely that Solomon knew very little of this happiness that God inspired him to write here. He didn't have experiential knowledge of this reward. He did have a palace that was so full of luxuries that the Queen of Sheba was astounded, but Solomon had no full quiver. It seems that, like other instances of Solomon's wisdom, this lesson and this psalm seems to have been not experienced by him. And that might be why he's ascribing such great value to it. It was something that he didn't have. The value he's placing on family and children in these verses. There's an old German proverb Charles Spurgeon would uh, quote for how children are a reward, how they're a source of happiness. Uh, He said, many children make for much prayer, and many prayers are a source of blessing. Isn't that true? Anything that drives you to communicate with God and depend on God. The end of verse 5 says that the parent who has God's view on family and children, they will have children who speak with their enemies at the gate. In Old Testament times, the gate was a place where uh, business was done, where um, legal proceedings would occur as a place of justice. So this verse is talking about the children of those who think like God about family. Those children will have positions of prominence and influence in their communities. A house full of children is obviously a protection in our society even now against a lack of influence, against loneliness, against poverty and abandonment. Spurgeon said, nobody cares to meddle with a man who can gather a clan of sons about him. So here in Psalm 127, God calls us to have a balanced uh, biblical synergy between hard work and between trusting him, if we were to work without faith, um, that's a sin of self-sufficiency. If we are to have faith without work, that's a sin of presumption. As followers of Jesus, we need to have a, a God-centered view on faith, that, that nothing in life can succeed without the Lord. Uh, faith should never make us passive or inactive. It should make us diligent and hopeful in our work. Because our, our, will, our work, uh, our will to work, our, our ability to work, and our success in work, all of those are gifts from God. They're entirely dependent on him. Is there an imbalance in your life? Are you leaning toward one of those extremes? If we're closer to self-sufficiency or presumption, we should confess that to God, ask him to help us align our lives with his will and his perspective on faith. And listen, if our work and our safety, if they are entirely dependent on God, well, then how much more does the success of you and I building a living house of God depend on his blessing? That's true for our families that you all go home to tonight, as well as our, our church family here. Jesus said in John 15, 5, Rose, what did Jesus say in John 15, 5? Without me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And that's the message here in Psalm 127. Uh, but when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, if, if you and I will apply these truths, if we'll have God's view on family, then raising kids who are arrows for God's glory, that is entirely achievable in this crazy world. So may we thank the Lord for the recentering that Psalm 127 should be doing to our minds and what it provides for us. Tommy, praise team, would you come up and lead us?